dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, dynamic voices for a diverse church, powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BurnsClan. Please follow at your own risk. And joining me, as always, is the founder of The Witness. He has a very extensive bio. He is the man, the myth, the legend, the two-time best-selling author, Mr. Blue Check Verified himself. You can follow his writing at jamartisby.substack.com. Dr. Jamar Tisby, what's going on, brother? How you doing? In my head, I feel like you always come in a little bit higher pitched. <laughs> yeah. Greetings and God bless. But yeah. you don't. It's really greetings and God bless. It's very sophisticated. No, it's in my head. I try to. It, it's a It's a long. We'll, we'll talk about that later. We'll do a behind the mic episode on that later. <laughs> Good. There's a science to it. So, bro, I uh, wanted to hop on the mic today and talk about something that was very personal to me. And wanted to talk about a part of my story that I don't know if I've ever really fully shared with the audience. And this is my interactions with my love for and my receiving love from Bishop Carlton Pearson. Mm. Recently, Bishop Pearson uh, passed away. Um, He's been battling and dealing with cancer for, it seems like, decades now, off and on. And uh, he passed away at the age of 70 and leaves behind two uh, beautiful children that are grown now and charting their own course. Uh, but Bishop Pearson and his teachings, his theology, his legacy, even before his big shift in theology, Bishop Pearson has always been sort of this lightning rod for understanding Pentecostalism, understanding the Spirit of God and the movement of the Spirit of God. And also understanding what it means for diverse groups of people to come together and worship together. So I want to talk a little bit about my interactions with Bishop Pearson on the occasion of his passing. I'm glad, man, because when he died, there was a massive outpouring of sympathy, of support, and also like not uh, that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. It's a little bit mixed. And 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 I'll be transparent here, having spent most of my Christian life in white evangelical circles, I had heard of Bishop Carlton Pearson, mm-hmm. but hadn't interacted with his teachings, his sermons, his ministry or platform almost at all. So I'll be learning a lot from from your interaction with him. And you're right, you haven't talked much about him. So I mean, maybe beginning at the beginning of when you guys first, when you first encountered him. Well, for those who don't know who Bishop Pearson is, I think it's crucial to do a little bit of background biographical work on him for people to know who he is and what he's done. But Bishop Pearson attended Oral Roberts University in the late 70s. And so that was in and of itself, you know, the um, very much so the um, Oral Roberts legacy, the kind of word of faith, charismatic space. And so he attended there and received his degrees and then was licensed or ordained in the Church of God in Christ. But he went back to Tulsa and kind of started his own work called Higher Dimensions. Mm-hmm. And Higher Dimensions was this mixture, kind of this mashup of really high, what you would call stereotypical Pentecostal expression in worship, but it was also multicultural. Mm-hmm. So he automatically charted a course there through multiculturalism. And then also this kind of aspect of uh, healing, word of faith, the expression of the gifts. And so Pearson is someone who studied 
everyone, revivalists like Billy Graham and miracle faith healers like Catherine Kuhlman. And he studied all of these people and how they were able to point mass crowds to Jesus. Hmm. And so once he started uh, Higher Dimension, he wanted to kind of recreate and uh, resurrect the spirit of the Azusa Street revival mm-hmm. with William J. Seymour in the early 1900s. And so Bishop Pearson, he started this movement called the Azusa Movement mm-hmm. and the Azusa Conferences. And that became really the hotbed eventually was the place, the conference, the gathering and convening for those who still wanted to keep that old school fire, but also kind of really evolve Pentecostalism into what it could be. Wow. It was popular not just because of, you know, the spirit and the atmosphere, but also because of the music as well. Okay. And so he was an accomplished um, composer, singer. He had a, really? uh, an amazing voice. Um, he could play multiple instruments and he won multiple awards for his live at Azusa records and he would bring people. It's the place where you would come and see a Donnie McClurkin or a John P. Key. And you would see like a Marilyn Hickey or sometimes a Kenneth Copeland or a T.D. Jakes. You would see people that would come together that almost didn't seem like they fit together yeah, yeah. or almost seemed like they were in the same camp and on the fringes. And Azusa was kind of like neutral ground. Huh. At, at one point in the 80s, it was him and Fred Price, Pastor Fred Price from um, ever increasing faith center in California, they were really the only two black ministers who had uh, television shows. And so now it's popular. You know, in the 90s, it became a thing that there were so many different ones Creflo Dollar and Eddie Long and Bishop Jakes. But at that point, it was just Bishop Pearson and Bishop Price. That was it. Dr. Price. That, that, that was. They it. were trailblazers. And so they were really trailblazers and they were kind of the people that were the poles of understanding of what charismatic faith was for Black people. So Casey Price was much more didactic, cognitive, uh, socially focused as well. And Carlton Pearson was much more vibrant and expressive mm-hmm. and almost the energy of Pentecost. Mm. So it was the mind of Pentecost and the, and the spirit and the life of Pentecost that were all kind of working themselves out. And so, you know, some of you met my father in a previous episode and, you know, my father at that time was pastoring at a a white church and he was the, we were one of the only black families at this white church Hmm. and he felt the tug to leave because of um, racism that he experienced there and, and, and the calling of God, of course, but some racism that he had experienced there. So he was watching the, the the tonality of the movement of Pentecostalism nationally and the movement of charismatic faith nationally. And he kind of found himself most closely aligned with these two styles, the didactic style and also the life of Pentecost. So my father took the best from Dr. Price and the best from Bishop Pearson and the best from himself and merged together this idea of what Pentecostalism is in our expression. People have to understand that when we say Pentecostal, yeah, it, it really there are so many different streams, yeah. leanings. It's really like the neo new Pentecostal movement now that is probably the most, the most vibrant and the most prominent expression of Black church faith today. Wow! So it's the most public expression. So, so people like 
Mike Todd or mm. people like Darius Daniels mm. um, or people like Dr. R.A. Vernon, who would still have some of those Baptist roots, but still a vibrantly neo-Pentecostal, Bishop T.D. Jakes, Sarah Jakes. These are the neo-Pentecostal. They're the most popular expression of the black church today based upon what people think of when they think of black church space. And there was a diversion racially. Uh, at, at one point, there was some more extensive interaction, but then they split off into distinctly white and black Pentecostal traditions. Is that right? Yes. And you're, and if you're talking about the, the origins of right, right, right. Pentecostal, so you're talking about going back all the way to C.H. Mason. Yep. And Bishop Mason, when he was the founder of the uh, Church of God in Christ, so the Church of God in Christ and the Assemblies of God were all one organizational umbrella. And so they were all working together. And when there were racial disputes or social disputes, it kind of led to a splitting and a breaking Uh of fellowship that created the Church of God in Christ and then the Assemblies of God my, slash my, my, Church my. of God. See, I had those. to learn that not having grown up in Pentecostalism <laughs> um, because the irony was to the extent there was any sort of racial mixing in a congregation, it was often in a Pentecostal space. Yeah. yeah. And so when I was first learning about it, Assemblies of God – because there was more mixing than like evangelical or reformed, that became to me like, oh, they're, they're, that's a multicultural space, <laughs> but really <laughs> not so much. Exactly. Um, so that I think that's not a, a really, just or equitable space. Exactly. Even though it's the presence of multiple ethnicities coming together, Pentecostalism has always had an issue and a problem with uh, – People coming together, but not being equitably mm. represented mm. and justice not being done, which so it's the same exact thing. While there would be more multi-ethnic Pentecostal churches, it also does not mean that they are automatically just right. and they're automatically dignifying to people of color. And so, but P- Bishop Pearson was able to to bring folks together in a way that was relatively rare. So he was able to bring folks together. And I want people to understand that it was a mega church. It was about 6,000 members on a consistent basis. And it was really Bishop Pearson's track in terms of founding and his um, education. It really mirrored my father's track as well in terms of education, founding, and so much so that we uh, became a part of Azusa and our plant was not called his, his um, faith was called, or his uh, church was called higher dimension. Wow. Church. Yeah. 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 And our church was called new, new dimension, you know? Okay. So it was like very much so a, um, an homage to yeah. the spirit of what was and and our church as well became a mega church in our city. So the story goes to use some history. You asked, there like, we when go. did you interact? There we go. So the legend is that in the early 1990s, when my father was considering planting, either 90 or 91, he decided that he wanted to take our family to Tulsa for the Azusa conference. And so he packed up my mom and I in this old, I don't even know what year, 1980, blue Toyota Corolla. Oh, that's and not a it was just, car, yeah, it was size-wise. <laughs> very small, very beat up. And he packed us all up and we drove the 14 or so hours Good to get night. to Tulsa, Oklahoma. 
and be a part of the Azusa Conference. And the story goes that after the Azusa Conference had ended, now you have to understand my parents were local church associate pastors. My mom was working on base in the military and dirt poor. I mean, like very much so on the borderline of poverty. And so we, you know, scrapped together. I I remember us, I was three, I believe at the time. And I just remember us, you know, eating those, those uh, Burger King meals and the McDonald's meals and staying in this, you know, trashy motel. But we were at Azusa. Wow. And we came dressed in our best and all the above. And after the conference, the story goes that Bishop Pearson invited all the pastors to come up to the front. And so he said, hey, can all the pastors come up to the front? Afterwards, I just I want to make an announcement. So you had about 70, 80 pastors out of the thousands that came up. And he said, hey, I just want to let you all know I'm hosting an after event um, at my house. And I'd like to invite wow. all of you to come over to my house and we'll have food and we'll take care of you, all the above. But just so here's the address. They'll give you the address to my house. So just come to my house. And so we went to this big house with, I remember, I'll never forget the winding staircase. And um, he was walking around and Bishop Pearson, people have to understand, was one of the most charming, one of the most gregarious, affable people you will ever meet. Mm. I've never seen him be out of out of place or out of space in any crowd, mm. even crowds that he were culturally not a part of, because it would really be harder for him to go back to like a Church of God in Christ crowd or a Baptist crowd, but he would win them over every time. It doesn't matter where he was, he'd win them over. And so he makes his way around his green people, and then he gets to me and my parents, and he they uh, introduce themselves and I, and my parents would tell you they were starstruck, you know, and just overwhelmed. Sure. And, and they said, who is this? He said, who is this? Oh, this is, uh, you know, our son, Gregory Tyler. And so he picks me up and he says, I'm going to take him with me. Is that okay? And wow. they're like, what, what? So apparently what happened is he spent the rest of the night walking around with me on his hip. Wow. And he would just, you know, my parents were obviously could see him and everything, but they, he, walked around with me on his hip for the rest of the night. That's what they said. And <laughs> he just had a connection to me as a, a little three-year-old kid who was probably playing with little action figures on his shoulder. In his little suit. In, his, <laughs> in, in my little suit with my little vest. Um, there I was on the hip of one of the greatest Pentecostal leaders in the history of the church. That was my first interaction with Bishop Pearson. Did he like prophesy over you or anything? Not at that point. So at that point, but there was clearly a connection and my parents felt it. So they joined up with Azusa and then that led to not just an acceleration in our ministry, but an acceleration in our connection to him as well. Whoa. So your dad then decides to plant new dimensions. Yes. So there's still that sort of homage is there any organizational connection that keeps that relationship going? Absolutely. So we decided after that to join. We were blown away by that level of hospitality yeah. and welcome. I mean, you gave somebody 70, 80 strangers your address. I mean, <laughs> it was just and it was a really big house, a nice house. And so we joined the Azusa Fellowship, okay. which is the Azusa Fellowship of Churches. And very quickly, my father distinguished himself as kind of a unicorn. He was... Very much so him, very much so intellectual, very much so sharp, 
but he just didn't try to prove anything to anyone. Mm. And so as a result, Bishop Pearson loved his humility and also saw the way in which our church was growing. So from 92, we, when we launched the church to 97, once we got to 97, 98, our church was averaging about 5,000 members, no. about 5,000 people every weekend. Wow! And so he saw the explosive growth and saw wow. the way in which we had structured staff. And Azusa Conference became, it literally became like the event that we would go to every single, As I believe church. it was really in April. Yeah, It was, uh, I believe it was in April. And so we go to every April, post-Easter, you go to Azusa. Like that was just a thing around the Pentecost time, right? Around Pentecost, you'd go to Azusa and um, it was special. So, I mean, all the people that I would see for the first time, you know, my favorite artist of all time has always been Fred Hammond. And I saw Fred Hammond in in person live for the first time at Azusa. We ran into him at the airport when we landed, you know, Uh and he dapped us up and he shook Uh -uh. shook my hand. I mean, it was just like, it was those magical moments of Azusa. We saw and met people like... Bishop Gary McIntosh, who became really close friends with my father. Um, then we saw people like uh, Brenda Todd, who oh. would lead the prayer and intercession. And we saw her young boys, all four young boys, one of them, Mike Todd. <laughs> I was going to say, that sounds familiar. So we were all in the same youth explosion wow. at the same time, you know. Um and my father quickly started rising up through the ranks in Azusa yeah, yeah. and became a, you know, one of the delegate pastors of the state, then became a, eventually a state director. So he was Whoa. the director of all the Azusa churches and then was moving into the role of regional overseer. So he's going to become the regional overseer of all the Southeast churches of Azusa. I hear and, a butt um, coming. <laughs> and so all this was coming. And then one one year we were supposed to go to Azusa. And before this, Bishop Pearson had come to our church multiple times Whoa. and had preached and was getting to know our family very well. It's a big deal. And yeah. had connected not just with my parents, but also with me. Mm. And I remember he came to our church and I was, I believe at this time, 11 or 12. And he was walking out of the church. And I remember... For someone like Bishop, you have to understand he was, name your famous celebrity figure for us. Right. That's Bishop Pearson. Like yeah. if you would want to meet like a, a, you know, Taylor Swift or a Beyonce or a Deion Sanders or whoever, uh, he was like our Obama. Uh He was like a Pentecostal Obama. He was like charting courses that had never been charted before. And there was so much controversy. Like when he got married and uh, my my- Mom got really close to his wife, mm. um, Gina. And so she came down and did our women's conference. It was devastating for women who had this idea that Bishop Pearson was going to be their husband. You know, oh. it would be his wife. And it was devastating. And she wow. was an outsider. And she was, wow. you know, so it was just all these types of things that. Um, and so he had he had come out of a, a church service that he had preached for us. And uh, he was talking to different people. And I was standing kind of by the door as he was getting ready to go. And he stopped. He said, "Tyler, come here real quick." And so I, I came up to him, and and uh, he said, "Do you know how special you are to God?" And being a PK is a very weird thing in a black church. It's a weird thing in any church, but it's a really weird thing in a black church. You feel like you're in a fishbowl. You feel like everybody is microanalyzing everything. You also don't feel like people truly care about you for you. Mm. You you feel like people care about you for what they can get from you. Mm. 
And he looks at me dead in my eyes and says, you realize how special you are to God? He said, I always found it striking that you look like your mother. Hmm. And he goes on to talk about the significance of what it means that I look like my mother and the significance in the spirit. And he said, one day your ministry is going to impact thousands of people. It's not going to be what you think it's going to be. He said, it's going to impact thousands of people. He says, I can't wait to see how God is going to use your life. He said, there is a mantle on you. Mm. And I'm t- he said, I'm telling you, you need to know how special you are to God. He, he gives me a hug and just walks away. So he didn't say the actual words past the mic, but no, <laughs> he no, he did. We he understand, did. That's right? What that he... was that was past the mic. Wow. Yes. So he um. So those there were those moments. There was another moment in uh, Hattiesburg, Mississippi, when he preached, and he, my wife, my uh, mom, and I were sitting on the front row, and um, he, we stood up to give our offering, and because. This church was like our sister church. And so I stood up to give the offering and he put his arm around me, stopped everybody said, Hey, I want y'all to know this is my, this is my son. Wow. I want y'all to know this is my boy. And I want everybody to know, keep your eyes on him. This wow. is my boy. Like in front of everybody, just completely, just, and just completely randomly. So he made a deep, long lasting yes spiritual investment in me. It was the first time a minister had affirmed me. I was going to say that exact word, those words of affirmation from any respected person, but let alone from somebody of this man's standing that had to have a lifelong. I mean, that's core memory right there. It is. And it shaped much of the way in which I lead now and much of the confidence I have that God really does have good things for me. So did your church and you yourself remain in sort of close relationship with Bishop Pearson? Well, let's talk about that after the break, because I think (laughs) this is where the great transition and shift happens. So I think we should also shift ourselves as well. We'll be right back here on Pastor Mike. Hey folks, Dr. Jamar Tisby here, and I want to make sure that you know about the Justice Takes Sides brand. This is merchandise. This is apparel to help you represent your values. This is about getting people off the sidelines and into the struggle for justice that's ongoing today. Go visit justicetakesides.com, get your merchandise and apparel there, and follow us on Instagram at Justice Takes Sides. Hey, everybody, this is Tyler. This is Dr. Jamar Tisby. And we are excited that you're listening to this episode of Pastor Mike. But let me encourage you to support us. You can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash Pastor Mike. And for just $1 an episode. Just a dollar? Now, that's the bare minimum. That's four quarters. But if you want to go higher, okay, 5, go 10, higher. 15, right. 20, 25, whatever it is, that will keep this show going and keep the high quality that hopefully you enjoy. So thank you for listening. But you can take it to the next level. Patreon.com slash Pass the mic. We appreciate you. So you asked a question before the break that I thought was deserving of its own segment and not the ability to rush. One year we were getting ready to head to Azusa 
in the late nineties, maybe this, by this time, maybe it was early two thousands and Azusa for us was like Christmas. You know, we wanted to know what the kids ministry and the youth ministry were going to do, who was going to be there, who we were going to see, what rooms we were going to be in. And of course, I want to see Bishop Pearson. It's the family reunion. It's like the the family reunion yeah. for the Azusa Fellowship. And literally, I remember we used to have 40 people on the same plane heading to Tulsa. <laughs> I'm serious. Like 40 people like on the that same plane. That can be really fun. Yeah. You know, and, and it was not fun at all, but <laughs> it was significant in terms of, you know, and so- I remember waking up that morning and I didn't get woken up really early. So I was like, did we miss our flight? Did, you know, and I went in there and my dad said, yeah, I don't think we're going this year. And I was like, wait, what happened? And they were like, oh, well, it seems like Bishop Pearson came out with some statements and there were articles released about him that talked about him kind of stepping away from how we interpreted how the articles were presented, him stepping away from Christianity. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, what? Like Bishop Pearson? You know, I was just kind of like, you know, back then I was starting to get into theology and starting to understand and grasp theology proper and systematic theology and ecclesiology. And definitely my favorite was pneumatology Mm -hmm. because it was the theology of the spirit, you know, and soteriology and demonology and angelology. I was just getting into all these these little um, just bite-sized pieces of information and I read the article and in the article by Charisma Magazine, Charisma Magazine kind of scooped this mm. and basically had released that he had changed his theology and shifted his focus away from what they would call Orthodox Christian faith. And then the dominoes started to fall. Oh, All the dominoes of a conference that should have been 10, 12,000 people was... That week, a conference of 100 people. No. About 150. Whoa. And people started pulling out, making statements, clarifying. And it was swift. And he had a number of different articles, whether it was in Gospel Today or Gospel Today, like literally interviewed him and asked him questions about. And it was such a shift because it was such a, what it felt like an abrupt departure from what we had been taught. Sure abrupt departure from what we have been taught to believe in terms of our core tenets of faith. And essentially he had embraced what's called the doctrine of inclusion. Okay. Which was another way of saying he had really leaned into becoming a universalist. Got it. And Bishop Pearson to heaven. Basically, yeah. yeah. And he talked about his journey and trajectory. And so I don't want to speak for him, so you all can go and listen to his journey and his trajectory, but it was really more about an embrace of love and embrace of loving people regardless. And also the idea that basically the redemption that Christ had purchased on the cross was total and final for the world, regardless of if they, they believed it or not. Right. So it was just total efficacy, total efficacy of his atonement for every living being. And it was shell shocking for us, I think, because there was a level to which we weren't expecting it. There were so many different things that happened after he, uh, people started pulling out of the fellowship. We sent in a letter. And, uh, my father had a call with him and pulled out of the fellowship, and um, wow. you know, all kinds of different people, you know, shifted. And um, in many ways, people did what they had been trained to do, 
which was when someone shows difference according to what you feel are the orthodox tenets of the faith, you distance yourself from them. Right. That was the training. Right. And so Bishop Pearson kind of began to fade into a little bit of obscurity, but also he began, began to be more popular in progressive faith circles huh. because he truly embraced a fully orbed idea in their minds of love and yeah. caring for people and affirming people. And back then it was unconscionable for anybody to think about LGBTQ and, you know, we didn't have those pronouns or anything, but, but he really embraced LGBTQ people and he embraced people who had HIV and AIDS and he embraced different faiths and became a part of what was called then the new thought movement, which Hmm. is kind of a, a mashup of a lot of different ideas of ancient wisdom that led to enlightenment and that led to love and that led to care for people. And so in the midst of all of it, we stood firm as a church, but it rocked us. Yeah, And I think it rocked my parents. I think it, it definitely rocked me. And, but from that point, we separated our association and made statements distancing ourselves from him. That's really hard. Somebody you looked up to, somebody who affirmed you. Um, and then uh, after that, did he remain a controversial figure? Did he do anything else yeah. that sort of made headlines? Absolutely. And then what was I mean, your... So this is kind of, I guess, the intersection between, you know, you talk about our background in reform theological circles and the young restless and reform movement and the Pentecostal. Did they ever intersect? Yeah, they intersected on ABC one day when... Uh, a pastor who was highly controversial himself, but was seen as a clarion for doctrine and wisdom and understanding. A man by the name of Mark Driscoll hmm. was on a panel with Deepak Chopra and Bishop Carlton Pearson. Wow! And they were there is still a there is still a conversation that is up on YouTube. There was another a woman who was on that panel, and I actually don't remember her name, so I don't want to get it wrong, but. Um, yeah, they had this debate about faith and Christianity, and in many people's mind, Mark Driscoll schooled Carlton oh, Pearson, schooled Deepak Chopra, and you know received thunderous applause from people, and was very clear on the gospel mm. and grace and mercy in its extent. Before that, Bishop Pearson had actually been defrocked and claimed a heretic, called a heretic wow. by the Joint College of Bishops. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he had requested that meeting with them. So there's a there's a movie out called Come Sunday. It talks about this Bishop Pearson story. Uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor plays Bishop Pearson. And huh. hey, I appreciate it <laughs> for what it is. It does not capture Bishop Pearson at all. Wow. If you watch that, you'll think he's some brooding deep thinker, introverted. Bishop Pearson was whip smart, intelligent, dynamic, hilariously funny, and loved by everyone the second he stepped into every room. Wow. And yeah. so my my beef with Come Sunday has always been it is a it is a it is an infinitesimally small picture of someone who is larger than life. Right, 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 right. Wow. And so that got him into all the rooms. And I'm going to tell you, he stayed consistent with love. He stayed consistent with care for people. He also stayed consistent to, according to what he deemed the expressions of Pentecost, which he still found legitimate, which are the gifts of the spirit and tongues and prophecy 
and prayer for healing. He just felt like there were so many other faiths that tied into our faith. And he just felt like that the love of Jesus was transformative for all. And so that's the journey he went on. But he was still wow. seen as controversial, but also seen as beloved sure. by everybody that was interacting with him. So now that he has um, died at a relatively young age, I mean, he's not that old these days. Um, what do you think, how would you assess his significance and legacy? I have a couple of thoughts here. <laughs> I knew you would. I think number one, I think if I had to do it over again, I was a kid back then. If I had been the pastor, I think I would have stood true to our doctrine, but I wouldn't have broke fellowship with him. Mm. And loving people is really hard. And loving people when they disappoint you is really hard. Sometimes that's the call. And I'm not going to go as far as some people have taken this train and this idea of, oh, he did, you know, the church wronged Bishop Pearson. And they, you know, I think the church did for many people as best as they knew to do. I'm sure some people capitalized off of it, right? Some people took what he did and the fallout of it and used it to build their own brands and platforms. I'm sure. I think for the most part, people just did what they thought was right and what they thought they knew to do. I think I would have stayed more closely in contact with Bishop Pearson. Hmm. A few years ago, uh, I was uh, on a red-eye flight from L.A. to Atlanta, headed back home, and I was getting back home for the morning because I had to preach. Goodness. Yeah. And um, Or lead a youth service or something. And I remember it's my first time having a red-eye flight, so I'm asleep and, you know, literally red eyes, you know. <laughs> yeah. Wandering into Hartsville-Jackson Airport, and I go to use the bathroom before I'm going to sleep you know, a little bit more at the gate before my flight leaves in a few hours. And I use the bathroom and I'm, I'm wiping the crust out of my eyes and um, I'm washing my hands and someone walks behind me and I turn to my right and three sinks down from me is Bishop Pearson. Whoa. And who you haven't seen or talked to who I haven't seen and talked to in over a decade. Mm-hmm. Really, by this time, almost two decades. Mm. And I remember I was washing my hands. I was frozen as he was looking in the mirror. And uh, I didn't say anything to him. And I don't know if it was the time or how tired I was or the fact that I didn't know what to say. One of the greatest regrets of my life in my ministry is not saying something to him in that moment and not letting him know how he made me feel. People often talk about this whole idea of right theology. I'm with that. I'm fierce in what we believe and why we believe it. My question has always been if people like Bishop Pearson have such poor theology 
Why do they love better than us? How are they out loving our sophisticated theology? Mm. And what I have learned is we, we are so good at doctrinal statements and we should continue to be. How we think about God, how we speak about God matters. But Bishop Pearson has been a swift and deep and thorough critique for a church that cares more about saying it loves Jesus than showing the love of Jesus to the people in the world who need it most. I've always wondered, why does he love, why does he love people better than us? That has been one of his legacies. I think also, you know, I, I, I think, you know, being a leader <clears throat> in church spaces, you know, it's one thing we had this whole podcast about changing, right? Oh no, you've changed, right? Mm-hmm. We talked about change regardless of what people think and change no matter, you know, what's going on, follow what God has placed in your heart and all that. And yeah, true. I, I completely agree with that. I think I've learned that change is there's more of a responsibility for wise change as a leader. Yep. And as a leader, you have a responsibility not to just simply change, Mm -hmm. but to lead people in the process of change. Mm -hmm. And I think if Bishop Pearson had come clean with what he was navigating and shared that in a forum with pastors and leaders before it had been announced and had interacted and said, hey, this is what I'm thinking and listened and been, that's risky. And that's dangerous, but I feel like more people would have been able to navigate that with him. Yeah. Because as a leader, you have to change, not just at the speed of what you can handle, but at the speed of what the people who are following you can handle. You're always ahead of us. Like We're always ahead of the people, but we have to be ahead of the people. And if we want to bring them along, we have to bring them along at their speed, not at ours. Can't get so far ahead that you're out of sight. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, man, finally, I think I would say, you know, his legacy is seen today. Bishop Gary McIntosh, who was his right-hand man at Higher Dimension, as soon as the Doctrine of Inclusion came out, the movie talks about Bishop Gary McIntosh breaking away and... He broke away and started his own church, which was Greenwood Christian Center. And he started Greenwood Christian Center, and that was basically the rebirth of Higher Dimension. And it was a majority black church, as he as a white man was leading a majority black church. And that continued until one day he said, I need a successor. And he goes back to the sound booth and points out a young man in the sound booth and says, hey, I believe you're my successor. And he had been watching this young man. This young man had been doing youth ministry and youth pastoring and had been running those teen revivals. And in short succession after that, he hands the church over to a man named Mike Todd. Hmm. And a few years later, Mike Todd changes the name of Greenwood Christian Center to Transformation Church. Wow. And so now what many people consider to be the young people's pastor comes directly from the line 
of Bishop Carlton Pearson. And regardless of what you think about his approach, we've critiqued his approach very vocally here on this on this podcast in certain spaces. But I think it is showing that the legacy still exists yeah. and that the mantle of what the intention and the heart behind it was still exists. I would challenge people, if I could give an encouragement to people, hold the truth tightly, but also hold the way in which you communicate that truth loosely. Hmm. And what I mean by that is hold the truth and fidelity to doctrine as tightly as you possibly can. I truly believe that is crucial. I'm not just saying that because like, oh, we're the witness and all this. I truly believe in that. Like I truly believe that it is important for us to know why we believe what we believe. I truly believe that. But also be open to learning from people who would not believe the same thing as you. And be open to humility yeah. and be open to love and be open to kindness and be open to gentleness in how we treat people. I often think that if we maybe would have loved Bishop Pearson, some of us, some people did love him really well, privately and publicly. I feel like if we would have loved him better behind the scenes, he'd still be here. Hmm. I can't help but think if I would have said something to him, Hmm. it might've encouraged him. I don't think I had the power to keep him living that long, but I think that probably would have encouraged him. And I wish I would have said that before he passed. Yeah. Well, I think what he said when you were just a kid that you were impact thousands is absolutely true. Not only in your ministry as a pastor, but also your ministry on the mic and particularly in sharing your story. So you may not have been able to tell him at that moment personally, but now you're telling all of us and we appreciate it. We hold space for your story, the conflicted feelings, the pain, the grief, the loss, um, and the learnings. So really appreciate you opening up that part of your story to us. Thanks. Man, thank you for being willing to listen. And thank you to everyone who has supported our podcast and continues to do so. We'll see you again next time on On Pass Pass the the Mic. Mic.